Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello everyone and welcome back. I'm Christoph Irwin. This is the Building Science Podcast. And today I'm really delighted to introduce to you a special guest. His name's Adam Reiser. And we're going to be talking about moisture control in buildings. And those of you that have heard the podcast before know that this will not be a new subject for us. In fact, uh, I think you've probably heard us talk about NIH saying that um, of the pollutants in buildings that are known to be causal factors for asthma, humidity is the top of the list. That was in February of 2015 that came out. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Adam Reiser. Adam, please introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, hey, thanks, Christoph. It's nice to be here. Um, so I'm Adam. Um, we have a company here in Austin called Shelter, uh, which we started a couple years ago to build um, healthier houses. Um, I kind of fell into that world. It's definitely not my background. Mm-hmm. Um, and like so many people, you know, kind of the accidental things that happen to you in life, the flukes, the, the curveballs that mm-hmm. the world and life throws at you were actually how we ended up there. But, right. um, you know, I have a, I have a, a real interest in uh, trying to have a bigger conversation amongst all of us, amongst mm-hmm. people who are living inside, which is most of us, <laughs> most of us. Um, people who build inside environments, um, and uh, all the industries and, and scientific you know, research areas that are around and affect indoor environments, indoor air, um, in trying to, you know, move the ball down the proverbial field and move us into, help us move into a, a, just a more intelligent built space. Right. right. Um, and so for me, that's, you know, that's something that started really personally. Um, How so? Well, you know, we got sick off our home. And that was something that I never, ever thought was possible. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we bought, uh, in 2007, a, a really beautiful 30,000-square-foot ranch house overlooking downtown Austin. You know, we saved up for a long time for it. How many square it. feet? 3,000 square feet. It's yeah. a pretty big house. Pretty, pretty nice house, yeah. We're whole rooms we never went into. I mean, it was more than we needed for me and my wife and our Great Dane. No kids at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, fast forward five or six years, we had a little girl. And then a couple years later, I started getting these bizarre symptoms. I started having food allergies I never had before. I mean, I, you know, had an iron stomach, um, could eat anything anywhere, anytime. And all of a sudden I couldn't eat all these foods that Interesting. some of the obvious candidates, things like gluten, soy, and, you know, things that are sometimes irritants to a lot of people, but, uh, they'd never been irritants to me. Um, and that developed. And then I had all these other inflammatory conditions. My body was clearly just fighting something that I didn't know what it was. And, and, you know, I tried every possible way to figure out what was going on. Every doctor you can imagine, every specialty, every clinic went to the Mayo Clinic, you know, kind of the, the gold wow. standard. And everybody effectively gave me a clean bill of health. I was in my mid-30s. I was athlete. You know, they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And when you're sick, that's just about the most frustrating thing possible. It's yeah. almost worse to not know what's going on when yeah. you're feeling bad mm-hmm. than it is, you know, to have a Diagnosis, and then you have a maybe you can plan a course of treatment and a course of action. Right, so they're they're effectively telling you it's psychosomatic. I mean, some version of that. I mean, not really. They're not saying you're just making it up, but they're effectively they said we don't know. 
I well, mean, if it was not, they couldn't measure anything that was pointing no. them yeah. to fix you. Interesting. So that went on for two and a half years, and then finally, uh, May, two and a half years. It was a long, wow. not fun journey. Really, you know, quality of life going down. That is a big deal. And then May fifteenth, twenty thirteen, I was walking down the street in New York City with my partner Rip Esselstyn, who was there to be on the Today Show, and huh. all of a sudden, I found myself not being able to walk in a straight line. I kept on curving to the left like I had five beers and I couldn't hold the line. And I thought I, would, I, thought I had Alzheimer's. I, I mean, I didn't know what to think. It was a really scary, really like, definitive scary. moment in my life. And um, so I went home and uh, had gotten the name of a doctor here in Austin named Ann Shippey, who a friend of mine had told me dealt with a lot of kind of things that nobody else can figure out. Saw Ann, and she effectively took one look at me and said, I think you have a mold problem. Which I immediately discounted and blew off, because it was like that. That it, it, how from where? You know, I had two spaces I worked in. One was Whole Foods Market downtown Austin, which is a relatively new building that mm-hmm. didn't seem like it had any issues. And then my house, which was this beautiful house that didn't smell like Grandma's house. And so there was no musty odor. Oh no, not at all. It was you would never have guessed. No one would have walked in that house and thought there was a problem. So the way that you test for, hmm. I mean, really, it's not just mold. I mean, mold was not what she said was wrong. She said, I think you have a mycotoxin. Wow. So, can, can you yeah, help me so, understand what a mycotoxin sure. so, is? So, myco is mold. It's, I think, Latin for mold, oh, or whatever, okay. the, whatever the root is. Oh, like, like mycelium, that's a part of the mold growth cycle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so, some molds, not all, uh, but some molds spit out these mycotoxins that mm-hmm. are basically used to create space for them. So, if mold A and mold B are next to each other and they're both competing for territory to grow on whatever it is, tree bark, wood, the inside of your walls... And mold A wants to kill off mold B so it has more room to expand. It starts spitting out a mycotoxin and kills mold B or a virus or a bacteria. So it's like a little chem-bio weapon. It's natural selection at its finest. Oh it my goodness. really is. And mycotoxins are powerful. I mean, penicillin is produced from penicillium. And if you remember the story of how pe- penicillin was yeah, discovered. Yeah, something blew in through the window. And there was a petri dish and all of a sudden there was nothing growing in this circle. And then, and, you know, it was like, wait a minute, what is that stuff? Because it's it's creating this barrier for everybody else to get in and and but you know penicillin was mold right penicillin is a penicillin is a mycotoxin created by penicillium which is a mold and it's revolutionized medical history in the last you know century and saved millions of lives so just as a reference point of how powerful these things can be i mean one of the great medicines in the last 200 years is a mycotoxin used for human you know you know benefit but not all things that we ingest are beneficial (laughs) <laughs> um, especially when we don't know we're ingesting them. So so she thought I had a mycotoxin, and that was her experience. And I got so lucky, Christoph, because I happened to be sitting in front of a doctor who had actually been through a mold problem herself. Oh, my goodness. So unlike any other physician I had ever talked to, and really some of the best of the best of the best across a spectrum of, of specialties, none of them had had any personal experience. And they don't, you don't learn this in medical school. And that may be in and of itself as a separate podcast. Yes, that's a very interesting topic. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, it's not necessarily doctors' faults, Western medical allopathic doctors' faults, because this is not part of their training. They aren't trained to look for this as a cause of disease of any kind. Right. And so how would they know it really can be? Or what the symptoms are. Absolutely. And Anne just happened to have been through this herself as a physician, and she almost became a physician because of this. Wow. She had her own problem and had to figure it out. She went to medical school because she was an engineer and she was a problem solver. So she was an engineer and then she became a doctor. Yeah. She, so anytime you have an engineer who turns into – and you have to have a doctor who was an engineer before, it's always big, fat, two thumbs up as a good background for solving problems. Um, so she wanted me to take a $700 test, blood test for uh, – actually a pee test 
for mycotoxins. And I resisted because I'd been down so many fishing expeditions for, you know, that dead ended that I was just kind of broke. But finally, three months later, when I still couldn't well, walk so in a straight line. Say yes. No, I said, I said, no, I said, no way. I said, that's not it. That's not it. And so I waited and finally I came back with my, you know, with my tail between my legs and I said, okay. And I tested it and I tested myself. And um, the, the test is a, a relatively accurate test that basically tests for three different types of mycotoxins, which are the only three we can test for. They're trichothazine, aflatoxin, and ochratoxin. Those are the three that kind of modern science can test Do for. Do we have a sense how many there we think there are that we test for these three? Are there we think there are hundreds and hundreds, potentially thousands. Hundreds. I mean, it's wow. it's the proverbial tip of the iceberg in a really scary way because we don't even know what's out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously molds have been around you know, for eons before we've been around and, and we've come to coexist with them you know, for many, many years, mm-hmm. thousands of years as mammals. The problem is that m- molds are a problem of concentration and the toxins that they can, not all, but some of them can produce when they're trying to you know, do their thing and produce and spread just like we trying to spread as a creature. When they do that, um, you know, it can be a problem because inside we get these concentrations built up. The outside would just dissipate into the air. Mm-hmm. So it's really an indoor problem in a in a in a funny way, and it's really why we're here. And and so yeah. so we I I came back with this test, and a, a positive uh, a, a negative test was on the scale that they did a point eight, and a positive was a one. So it was a point two differential between a negative and a positive. My score was a twenty-two point two. Oh my goodness! So it was something, some version of sixty times higher than the differential between a negative and a positive. Uh-huh. So I was just off the charts, which, even though it was a horrible thing to find, to find out, it was so liberating in that moment. It was like, okay, this is what has been wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Thank God! Like, oh my God, I have, I have, I have something I can point to, and now we have a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. So immediately we tested our house because that was where we spent most of our time. And, and, and how know, does that test go? Sample? Same kind of thing. They, they collect dust. I mean, it's not a perfect science, and there's room for lots, lots of better tests to, to do this. But for when you're testing for something very specific and you're, you know what you're looking for, it's actually much easier than it is when you're just kind of fishing for what's in the air or what's in your house. Right. So they, they collect the dust. You collect dust on, you know, basically a big, you know, some version of a hybrid of a tissue, and you send it to a lab, and they identify it. But, um, and we also tested our air, and we did a bunch of tests. But at the end of the day, the house came back effectively just as bad as I was for a house. It's a different test, obviously, but same trichothazine was identified. So we, we knew it was the house. So we moved out that day. Took my, my wife and wow. my daughter and our Great Dane, and we, um, we moved into family's house that day. And we never went back into the house. All of our possessions were in the house. Everything we owned after a lifetime of accumulating stuff. And, you know, I remember the next day, my wife and I had a, a very emotional, hard conversation in the front yard thinking about, all right, what are our options? We can either sell our home, and we have to obviously tell. We're not going to just let someone move into a house that's kind of neurotoxin floating around the walls. That would be a little bit horrible. So you just switched from mycotoxin to neurotoxin. Yeah, I'm sorry. So I, I should have gone back. So those three those three um, mycotoxins I talked about, trichothazine, aflatoxin, and neurotoxin, there's luckily, at least for us, there's there are two different kinds of compounds. They're not they're not organic. I mean, they're, they're not, they're inert, you know, they're you know, chemicals. Aflatoxin and ochratoxin are both carcinogenic compounds. And, and oh in labs, actually, aflatoxin is used very commonly to uh, uh, turn on cancer production in, in rats and laboratory mice. It's a great cancer-starting agent. So it's used very, very commonly as a means of making cancer grow. 
Uh, we, we had a little bit of one of them, but not much. We had a little bit of alkotoxin in our house. Alphatoxins, really, of, of all of them, it's probably the worst one to have. Um, Trichothezine is a neurotoxin, so it attacks the immune system. And that explained a lot of what was going on with me because all these food sensitivities, you know, most of your immune systems in your gut, most of your immune mm-hmm. system is your microbiome and the bugs in your gut that really dictate a lot mm-hmm. of our health mm-hmm. and longevity. And, um, you know, the neurotoxin obviously attacks your brain as well, and that's why I couldn't walk straight, why brain fog, memory loss, all these things that were so hard to diagnose. And, you, you I mean, it's always, look, looking back, it's easy to understand why Western medicine just missed it. Yeah, yeah. Because they're just not looking for that causation or that effect. So, um... But it was hugely impactful for you. Oh, and, massively. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to just get a, like, a, a visceral emotional sense of years of your life. Of, yeah. In, in these symptoms... Not, not, not being able to assemble sentences. Not being. I mean, I, I was. Oh I have a law degree. You know, I, I, I wrote, you know, mm-hmm. arguments for a living. You know, to to look at somebody, and not remember their name. Not that wasn't like Alzheimer's, where it's like your wife and your kids. But to know people that I've known for a decade and look at them and say, you know, I know you, but oh I, don't, I know what your name is. I mean, it's 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 not a nothing thing. It's right. it's a really serious. Okay, but I, but I interrupted you. Yeah, so no, no in not at all. So having a difficult so, conversation with your wife. Yeah, my wife and I sat down and said, we, our options are we can either sell our house, right, knowing that if you disclosed you have a, a neurotoxin floating around inside, it's probably going to disclose to take a hit on the value Morally. to say the least. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously, of course, we would never let him do that. We can um, try to remediate it, which in a lot of houses is really challenging because you're effectively looking for something that's spitting out a toxin that can be anywhere. It can be inside of a wall. It can be under a floor. It can be, I mean, when you think about what you have to do to find a source, and we had a bunch of water leaks. We think we know what happened. We had things that homeowners all over America have happened all the time and probably think virtually nothing of. We had a pipe break a few years back, and, you know, we had a, a poorly installed remodel where uh, a, a toilet was, the gray water was draining on, under our house. We had a AC drainage pipe that so was... you had all... You had, excuse me, keep going. We had, we, had, we, had, we had water coming in multiple places. You had a condensate mm-hmm. drain that was... That, dripping in, into a wall. Oh, dripping into a wall. Yeah. I oh, mean, that's horrible. Gallons of water. Gallons of water over an unknown number of years. And, you know, the problem with mold is that, you know, it needs three things. It needs a source of food. It needs the right temperature range, 40 to 80 degrees, which is, you know, most of the United right. States most of the year. And um, it needs spores. It needs some way to colonize. And, you know, Austin, unfortunately, has a really high concentration of mold spores in the air. So mold finding its way into your house is kind of a... Given. It's gonna happen. Right, yeah. So but the spore tests are totally. a sad joke. I, don't yeah. test for spores, yeah. those of you listening. They're in your house. It's you're you're gonna get a positive. <laughs> um and then, you know, when the way that we're building, the way we've built for decades and decades and decades, unfortunately, for all the benefits we've gotten out of building fast, cheap, quick, you know, lots of wood framing, lots of sheetrock, all these things that go up fast and look pretty and aren't that expensive, relatively speaking, comparatively, you know, to stone and masonry and all these things mm-hmm. we built buildings out of yeah. for you know, centuries. Built lightweight building assemblies yeah. here. Yeah. Unfortunately, almost all of those products are really good substrates for mold to grow on. Right. They're literally mold food. Some of them are just like mm-hmm. textbook what mold would want right. to eat. Like the fast-growing pine. Yeah, yeah I mean, just they're what... Paper on sheetrock. Living things grow on. And, you know, when you think about it, molds are like the world's smallest, most dangerous potential pest. You know, it's like having <laughs> mice. Yeah. But, but the problem like is... Microscopic mice. You can't see them. Well, you can see them when they're growing on the outside of your walls, but 
most of the time they grow in environments that are you know, kind of damp and inside mm-hmm. and where you can't see them. And yet, right. you know, the things they can do if they decide to spit out these mycotoxins, if it's that day, if you pick the wrong card, you know, they can be really serious as I'm kind of exhibit A of. Yeah. So when thinking about whether or not we could remediate it, we, we, we kind of thought through the logic and said we would have, considering how many places water has gotten in over the years, a couple of roof leaks, again, no major like influx of flooding, you know, nothing that Hurricane Katrina would compare to. Tiny things, relatively small things that homeowners, that homes suffer the indignities of these intrusions all the time, all over the place. And I think people, because I was one of them, think, oh, it dries out, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, if, if the floor is not going to rot away under my feet and I'm not going to put a boot through the upstairs roof, then this is going to be fine. It's just it's this this problem, unfortunately, I don't think is on the radar of the vast majority of people who own homes. And we don't get an owner's manual. When you buy a house, you know, you're not told to look for this stuff. We're not given a class in junior high school right after sex ed to say, hey, when you buy a home or you live in a home or you buy an apartment or you live in an apartment, these are the things you have to be aware of because mm-hmm. they can really be serious. And it's not just a wall caving in. They can be serious to your health, too. Absolutely. So we thought if we're going to remediate, we're going to tear this house apart to the studs. We're effectively going to have to tear the house down. If we're going to have any confidence that we've gotten this toxin and the mold that's caused it out of it. Was it a slab or a pier and beam? It's a pier, pier and beam house. So oh, there was yeah. the other variable is that we have this whole underneath part, yes. all of which can be a source. So when we thought about it, it was like we're going to spend – we could easily spend six figures fishing around fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 trying to find it. And then it, then we will inevitably have to ask ourselves the question of, of how, how confident are we that we got it all? Mm-hmm. And, and where's, our, where's our comfort level? I mean we have a three-year-old developmentally – critical part of her life we've already had her exposed to this stuff like are we willing to do it again or where you know we wanted to have another child what, what environment do we want to raise him in these are really like hard emotional much less financial questions yeah. to grapple with and we're on the front yard both of us are crying recognizing that this asset are by far our biggest asset in the world financially probably is going to just just overnight became worth nothing yeah which is a devastating emotional and financial blow on the flip side you know, the message of kind of hope that I've taken from that experience, even at that moment, was, okay, look, we know what the problem was that I've been suffering from. We know we have to solve it. We know that we can solve it. Mm-hmm. And what choice do we have? Right, right. And you're not going to expose yourself to it knowingly anymore. So there was it's a choiceless, it, painful It's situation. a painful choice. It's one of those moments you have an earthquake, everything falls down. You, you, you're in shock and then you wake up and you have to do something about it. You have to, you have to move on with your life. Mm-hmm. So the, we effectively, we like, may as well have had an earthquake. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the problem is, unfortunately, based on, you know, our, the way insurance is run these days, um, this problem has, oh been, has the potential right. to be so widespread that I think most insurance companies um, are, are internally very aware of this as a risk. And so in Texas, at least... You know, there's no mold coverage. You said aware. They are aware. Oh, look. You, you believe so. There's too much risk for them to As not be aware. As a former lawyer. Yeah, I mean, they, they, their actuaries are not doing their jobs if they are not pointing out the fact that if they cover for mold and we know that we're building in this way, we know that water intrusions happen and we know that there's a the potential for this to cause harm or at the very least to be something that's structurally problematic. Mm-hmm. If you covered mold mold problems, you would be a potential that the, 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 the risk that insurance companies would be exposing themselves to would be enormous. 
Um, and so, you know, I know after the mold scare back in the 90s that started in Wimberley and moved to Houston, you know, the, the, the uh, Texas Attorney General negotiated with, you know, farmers and State Farm and the other major Texas carriers of insurance providers to not make them include mold coverage in your standard policy. So you can get mold coverage, but it's a rider you have to buy. And usually it's two or three times what your house policy is. So no one, no, no one buys it. I mean, who buys that? No one buys that. We didn't have it, of course. Wow. We, we called our wonderful insurance company. I mean, USA is a good company. And they basically laughed at us. They were like, no, we, we aren't going to cover that. They'll, you know, they'll cover some water damage, but that's a couple grand and a couple of a new home. It's nothing. So we basically made the decision to tear our house down. We just ate it. We just ate the house. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's an interesting podcast too, possibly the insurance angles. Because I know no, it's I mean it's leaks. They'll fix the hole in your roof, but maybe not necessarily the water damage. And and really, in some ways, it's just as much on the medical side. It's not really their fault because the technology to test for mold is so imprecise mm-hmm. and it's so challenging to do that. It requires a real expert professional to get a, to get an actionable um, judgment that. You know, we are. The science hasn't gotten there yet. If the science gets there, if the technology gets there, that lets people know what they have in their environment, there right. might be a, a, a groundswell of you know grassroots consumer awareness that creates you know some change at a legislative level that lets laws be written that requires insurance companies to, to cover that. But that's the action plan. Like that's right. what would have to happen. It'd be something like that. So we, when we started looking around for somebody to help us build a house, that would never have that happen to it again. I mean, for us, it was very much mold-specific. Mm-hmm. We don't want a house that will ever have mold. Okay, solve that problem. And we started looking around and asking around and talking to people and talking to people who were in the building industry and people who were into healthy products. And there, you know, there's some great stores in Austin mm-hmm. that specialize in some of this stuff. Treehouse is a great place. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Eco-wise a couple of EcoWise is awesome. Those guys are super smart. You know, we said, you know, who do you know that might be interested in helping us build this way? And it was just crickets. There was no one. There was no names. They didn't. No one knew of of a building company that would take this variable and make it the most important variable in the house. And for us, it was like, look, our house made us sick, so we don't want to get sick off our homes. So let's look at what we can build of, build out of that will prevent that from happening. And when you start doing that, as just as a consumer, as a homeowner, what you start finding out is what I was talking about earlier, which is the way we're building we as a civilization, as a society these days in the States, is not ideal when you're trying to avoid that problem. No. It's it's a really great way of building ineffective, good-looking houses that last as long as they need to. Yeah, until it's like they're a movie set. Or it is, right. Convince someone to sign this mortgage document and you've done your job. It's awesome. It's a great... I love the movie set imagery because you know at some point it's just... Does it's it look a like shell. a house? I know. <laughs> But when, you, when we started digging in just as, as consumers researching, we started getting really frustrated with yeah. the status quo and saying this is not the right way to do this because this problem is probably not isolated to us. We found out about it. We got lucky. I had I just fluke had a doctor who said, hey, you might have this problem, but, but for bumping into Ann Shippey, we would still be living in that home and still be sick as a dog, and I don't know if I'd be around anymore. So it was a, it was a fluke of, of life, but we took that awareness that we started getting about the flaws in the kind of how people are building and said, you know what? There, there must be a better way to do this. And so we started researching part by part of the house, you know, the building envelope. What are we building out of? And Just on your foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. We started trying to figure it out. And we came across a couple of great resources. There's a really smart guy in Austin named George Swanson mm-hmm. who has a book called Breathable Walls. Oh, that's that a great book. Great book. Real, really was a Bible for us in a lot of ways. Um, 
a number of other companies around the country that sell various parts of this, you know, big chicken soup mix of a house that has all these various working pieces and, you know, air barrier, water bar- you know, barrier, mm-hmm. you know, how do you do an HVAC system? What's your flooring made out of? Your inside walls, your exterior sheathing. You know, these words that, unless you're a contractor, you don't even really know what they mean. Right. Going through the process of self-educating and then looking at what the products that were out there and saying, all right, well, that doesn't, that won't help us or that won't do what we need it to do. Mm-hmm. And just piecemealing it together was a really interesting educational journey. So you, you, you effectively turned yourself into a building science consultant. I mean, you a could very have building science. Consultant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a very poor one. But we got far enough down the line to say, "All right, we're comfortable that this way of doing it will prevent this problem for us." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that methodology, we then tried to find someone to, to employ, um, and we couldn't. So we said, "You know what? We'll do it ourselves," and we did. And so the house we built, uh, I'd say, is one of the healthiest houses you can build. Um, and I've been there, and I can say that it has a lot of th- fantastic qualities for it's, no mold, good indoor air quality. And, and we are constantly striking, uh, striving to improve that model. But, you know, for us, this was such a personal story because it was this recognition that your house can make you sick. That uh-huh, absolutely. we just never had. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's so many... You want to finish? No. There's so many different directions that I wanted to take this, uh, that I've wanted to take it listening to you just then. I'm going to pick one right now, and it's, I'm going to actually be a little humble and, and think about what I do, because we, we are a building science consulting shop, and, um, well, A, many people, when they find out about us, they say, oh, I didn't know a company like yours existed, and, you know, wish I had, so you didn't know to Google no. building science consulting, but we do, and I'm not exaggerating, we do at least once a week. Um, moisture or mold consult hmm. and it's not happy work right um, rarely I mean I've had a couple of times over the years but rarely am I encountering a sick person I'm usually encountering mold visible mm-hmm. mold and it is public knowledge that well that's not good mm-hmm. um, and it is public knowledge that it's, that's probably not good for my health like I, I could be very allergic to that or it could be problematic not necessarily a neurotoxin or I'm mean, just encountering a cupped hardwood or a stain of some sort, something like that. Um, but the point being, when it is mold, since that seems to be the theme here, I do simplify, because I'm not, keep in mind, I'm not seeing a sick homeowner, but I do simplify into, okay, look, so we have a mold problem. That means we have organic material uh, that's exposed to moisture and air. Because mm-hmm. mold, I mean, we haven't said it yet, but I'll just give like the, the brief overview. So mold is this amazing being that basically has an external stomach. And the way it eats is it lands on the surface and then it kind of spits up onto the surface all these digestive enzymes and then it starts slurping at the surface, the enzymes near it, and that creates a diffusion gradient and the enzymes with the food now in it get drawn to it. So it, And then eventually it grows strong enough that it sprouts these mycelium, these kind of like these antler things. And then when it gets more, a little more potent and strong from gathering this organic material from the surface, which, by the way, the organic material is the basis of all life on Earth, which is stored sunshine. It's these little stored molecules, these little stored chemical stores. But anyway, it spits up a bunch of mold spores and it repeats it over and over and over. And eventually it's visible and you can see it and it's big enough. Okay, so that was the tangent on... What my matters? narrative on a life cycle of mold. But the point is that I do tell people, look, so the, the, the answer is 
we can't get rid of the surfaces in your house. Your house is in the air. We can't get rid of the spores, so we go after the moisture. And so if you control moisture effectively, and then there's, and the podcast has been replete with them, there's myriad things to say about how to control moisture and why. So it actually shakes me like in my stomach to realize I need to be, I don't want to fear monger, but it's interesting to like, to think about, is it appropriate to be in a client's house on a consultation and say, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Any symptoms? Any food allergies? Are you on uh, Zyrtec by any chance? You know, I actually don't think it's a good place to go to, to try to, I don't know, it's interesting. I mean, look, from a public health perspective, I mm -hmm. think the way you'd look at this is to say, you know, no public health official is going to show up and start doing an epidemiological survey and seeing what the population is like unless you have an ailment. I mean, there has to be something there. Right. And that's, I think, where we're at the very beginning of collecting data on this. Which and low-grade ailments are everywhere. That's the problem. <laughs> it's like, how do you filter out what's what? You know, you, you know, Dr. Shippey, as one researcher, people, someone who sees sick people all the time, thinks that some of the most common autoimmune-type diseases, asthma, chronic fatigue, you know, these generalized catch-all type of uh, biological body responses that might be caused by any one of a number of things have this incredible commonality around mold exposure or mycotoxin exposure or indoor air environments. And I think what's challenging is that you really have two different things. You've got mold exposure, which, you know, to your point, not all molds are bad, and, and or maybe you didn't say that, but I've, I'll say that mm -hmm. not, not, not all molds are bad. We've been living around yeah, molds for thousands exactly. of years, I and mean, you can't yeah. say mold is bad in some dangerous way. Right. You don't if want we got rid of mold, that would be a big problem for the planet. It'd right? be horrible. <laughs> it would break down everything. Right. We wouldn't have any biology. Cycle. Soil. It's very important it's cycle. important for life on Earth. But at the same time, it's this, again, going back, it's the indoor air part. It's this artificial environment that we've decided we have entitled to live in that, for energy reasons, is just tight enough to keep the conditioned air space that we want at nice, comfortable 77 degrees inside, but not quite so tight that water can't find a way in. And when you combine that with the reality of what you said, which is that we're building out of so much stuff that's just organic food for mold, and, mm -hmm. you know, mold does what you just so eloquently and beautifully <laughs> described – you know, when it when it reacts in that way and it has food and it has a source of moisture and it has the right temperature to, to be doing all that, um, you know, you're just rolling the dice. So from a public health point of view, what worries me is that I don't think we in the public health sector know to be looking for this. Mm -hmm. And in the medical world where you would have to start with physicians diagnosing problems and having some idea or thought or instinct that mold might or indoor air quality might be or indoor air environments whatever you're going to say might have a causation or some sort of a, 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 a you know uh, there might be a correlation between indoor air and this ailment mm -hmm. if doctors aren't being the ones that are saying hmm i wonder if you are feeling this way because of this then public health officials are never going to be alerted to it so this isn't on people's radar, unfortunately. Right. And and so I think, like, you walk into the proverbial client's house, and they're called you there because of something they've seen or something structural or something that they're trying to change. Right. You know, you ask them if they're not feeling well, and right. so you have to run down the laundry list of what those potential poor feelings could be. And that requires an enormous amount of knowledge on your part mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to give them something that's not just a scary, you know, question you injected in their lives, but something that they actually might really have. So it's a, it's a kind of unfortunate, very imprecise place we find ourselves yeah, in absolutely. that's at a, that's caused in no small part by 
the environments that we're building. And, and I think a, a lack of recognition, especially in the kind of the southern swath of the country where the climate is such that we don't open windows as much and we're incredibly reliant on HVAC, on mechanical means of, of fresh air exchange and bringing fresh air in. You know, our house was built in 1938 and had a central air system. And probably when we or moved... central heat. And both. Turned into central air. Yes, exactly. Thank you. We moved in, you know, had single-pane windows that leaked like a sieve, so we replaced them with super tight, energy-efficient, mm. you know, dining windows. Decreasing the drying potential. Absolutely. <laughs> just made our whatever probably would, ev- would you know, eventually happen even worse. Mm-hmm. But, you know... It, decreasing it, air exchange. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that's yeah. really the problem. This is a is bizarrely recent yeah. technological They call problem. it like a, like a perfect storm, right? Yeah, it's a, so what do we do? I think that's kind of where I'm, I am. It's like, all right, well, most of the houses in America would probably qualify as being like that. A lot of them would, yes. just tight enough to where you're not going to get a lot of fresh air exchange. Whole parts of the country don't open windows enough. I mean, I was at a house up in upstate New York over the summer, and the windows were open day and night. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't think of a, a day in the last five years that I've opened my windows in Austin day and night. Right. I, I, I just either too humid or too hot or too cold. It's just not that type of climate. We aren't used to that. It's not our culture even down here. We're so reliant on, on air conditioning that it's kind of the catch-all. You just assume you turn on the a- AC or the heater just to make it, te- you know, in a, in a, you know, temperate. So I, And that is often the source of many of the sure. health problems is the air conditioning system. So, I, I, you know, part of what I get really fired up about is, you know, marching down this road of us as almost a species or a, a society yeah. feeling like we're entitled to be comfortable without, and I don't mean to indict anybody in this process, but without taking into account the potential risks of that desire, of that need. Exactly. If we all lived in teepees still, this wouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Or yurts. Right. Or, you know, mm-hmm. igloos. I mean, th- this is a modern problem. So, like so many other things when technology gets into play, I mean, here it's building technology at the end of the day, but, you know, technology always gives you a choice as to whether or not you want to use it. Yeah. You know, do you want to take, do you want to get the x-ray? There's, you have to weigh the cost. I'm going to get some radiation, but I'm going to get some results. Do I want to fly in the plane? You know, I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. get to New York faster. Get to New York faster, but, you know, there's a risk of falling from 40,000 feet. It's mm-hmm. a very low risk, but it's catastrophic if it happens to be my unlucky day. But here, I think, uh, my, right. it's a, you're taking a risk that you do not know you're taking. Yeah, it's and that's uninformed. the problem. It's an uninformed risk. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about it from a risk management perspective, m- my kind of mission or passion or what I've just experienced and makes me want to you know, help the world in this way is to say, look, guys, guys, all of us, guys, let's maybe rethink what we're building, how we're building it, what we're building out of, and minimize the risks of anything going wrong. And recognize that indoor air is just as important as, you know, clean water and healthy food. Right, exactly. It is just as important to our health and well-being. And if you create an environment, you know, if, if, if you start thinking about your house like the International Space Station mm-hmm. to where they don't have a choice, that has to be clean air because the outside is going to kill them. If you think about your indoor air space... I think you're home like that and you just walk inside your home tonight and you say, all right, how good is my air and what's affecting my air? You know, what's, what is, what can I do to make the air in here cleaner? Because that will not only make me healthy, but minimize the risk of a harm. Right. That's a really great way to think about this structure that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll, um, 
I, I, I think that the built environment has the potential to be the next big public health, the next big um, yeah, the, space. Mm-hmm, I, I agree completely. I, I just try to start to wrap up. Actually, the, the wrapping up is challenging because you brought up George Swanson, which brings up magnesium oxide. Right. Which we're not going to cover that for today. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much. So I think I'd like to have you back on if you're sure, willing. Sure, I'd love to come. Um, but two things real quick. One is right where you're sitting uh, about a week ago, Allison Bales, Dr. Allison Bales, Energy Vanguard was sitting there and we were discussing ventilation. Mm-hmm. And why were we discussing ventilation? Obviously for human health, human mm-hmm. factors. And one of the glaring features of the ventilation, the great ventilation debate, which is occurring right now with a lot more um, emotion and vitriol than most people would probably think mm-hmm. <laughs> in bet. the engineering world, but is that there is a, a profound lack of epidemiological studies right. supporting different ventilation standards. Um, and yet, prudence is still bearing out. You know, you should ventilate, you should do it effectively. But the bigger thing that you're touching on, and it's it's just uncanny to me how similar our, our worldviews are. And yeah, those of you listening, we pretty much just met uh, <laughs> randomly about a month ago or two months ago and just got together again today. So... We would like to, you and I, mm-hmm. and I really believe we're going to be making this happen in the in the months and years ahead, to expand the discussion between those of us interested in the building sciences, with those of us those of those of us also who are interested in the biological sciences. Right. And there's a bit of a distortion, right? So right now, we do mechanical designs for high performance buildings. Right. And when you think high performance, you obviously think comfort. And you think energy efficiency, and you want it to be durable. Um, we as a company, we like to talk about human-factored building design, we like to talk about health. But if you think about it, when you talk about any endeavor, there are fundamental organizing principles that you use to decide, is this good or bad? Mm-hmm. So energy, obviously, has it's going to steer you down the route of how to build a house. And durability is going to steer you down a lot of moisture control the discussions. And comfort is going to have a lot of impacts. But this health one, I think it needs to go to the top. Mm-hmm. Like, given that the house is healthy and comfortable, it needs to last a long time mm-hmm. and then use as little energy as possible in achieving those goals. Yeah. So it's kind of like instead of energy efficiency, which energy efficiency, we, we as a society, uh, or yeah, we as people, we like to say, what's the ROI on that? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, what's the ROI on not getting sick? How do you calculate that? It's a lot like food. I mean, mm. when you look at what's happened in the food industry in a grocery in the last 30 or 35 years, you know, organic kale wasn't available 35 years ago at your local <laughs> corner store. It just wasn't. And now it's amazing how these uh, these words, organic and sustainable and local, all, all of these um, attributes mm. that we're applying to our food are now just part of the discourse. And I think that people have become so much more aware about what they're putting in their mouths and they're being more skeptical and they're reading labels more. Mm, interesting. And we're trying to see better food labels being put out by the government or better food labeling requirements so that people, so that, in, in, so that consumers can make an informed choice mm-hmm. about their health as far as food and nutrition is involved. But there's so many analogies mm-hmm. to that. So they're sitting in their kitchen reading this label, ingesting Right, the fruit toxins or whatever it is. Lungs. I mean, who never knows what it is. But, you know, uh, uh, um, the awareness that what you eat affects your health is such a profound way is what spawned the whole rise in organic foods and the incredible growth that that part of the new sector has seen much mm-hmm. to whole foods 
you know, deep chagrin as, you know, Walmart and Target are now selling, you know, organic food just as much as they are. And it's really taking their market share. But in the food, in, in, in the food space, that's, that's a consumer driven awareness. People are wanting to buy better quality, healthier stuff, but that's not because it's sourced in a better way or the people that are growing it or farming it are paid better. It's because they think it's healthier. And mm-hmm. so the driving force of it is self-interest mm-hmm. in preserving oneself and living a longer, healthier life. And so how easy is it to have that same conversation around building? Absolutely. We just need to start. Absolutely. There needs to be more of that. And it should, to your point, you said it so well, it should be a variable that goes to the top. Not because one person in a hundred or a thousand, or we don't even know, might get sick from their homes or is sick from their homes. But shouldn't we just try to all build in a way that takes health into account so that this doesn't happen and if, if it, that doesn't cost any more or it's like organic kale versus conventional maybe it's 10% more mm-hmm. if the trade off is you know what it's an insurance policy against your house ever have anything happen to it that might cause harm you know th- those of us that work in this field who give advice to people who don't know you know and who it's hard it's hard to feel it's so complex it's hard to research those of all, all of us who do this, I think, have responsibility to kind of lead this charge. Absolutely. Because the consumer, this is going to be a really tough consumer movement to get from there. Unless 60 Minutes has a piece tomorrow on the potential for this, and all of a sudden everyone's asking for better quality, healthier buildings. You know, people in the building sciences space need to collaborate with people in the medical sciences space and the biological sciences space and do more research and come up with better studies that know that let us know how much of a problem this is, what we need to be worried about, how how, how extensive it is, and what, what and what we can do to fix it, what right. we can do to build better. So I, I, I think that's great work, and that's that's a worthy endeavor for us to pursue and others as well. Absolutely. Well, very well, very well said. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. And thank you guys for me. listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>